okay, you know what one of my favorite pastimes? Wanna know what one of my favorite pastimes is? When you, when you get to like, like to me, it's a kitchen table. Uh, but when you get to sit around something, like a fire pit, we talked about this last time, or like a, a kitchen table, or like in a living room on some really comfortable couches, which Rebecca and I purchased this last year because we love comfortable couches. And you just talk about um, like memories of the past. Anybody ever, anybody ever do that? Like I find talking about events of old just as fun as actually participating in events of old. So talking about, reminiscing about history. Uh, there's a, a little magazine that I have in my office. Uh, it's titled Magazine. God, Life, Culture. Magazine. This is the first issue. Actually, it's the only issue. <laughs> uh, this was a school magazine when Kim and I were students here uh, in 2006. I think it might have been the year. Yeah, 2006. I know, I know. You guys were, you guys were infants at that time. Uh, and in this, uh, it's fun to look back and reminisce of times of old. And there's a specific... Um, a story on the last page called How Four Would Call It The Best Day Ever, uh, authored, written by yours truly, Gavin Briscoe. And in it, the four people also, Kim Quigley. <laughs> uh, and so, um, yeah, reminisce of old, good times, and we get to talk about things that we did when we were students here. And I'm certain alumni often will talk about, hey, remember the things that we got into when we were students here? Remember back when? And I, I'm certain all of you already do that. Fourth years, guaranteed, you're talking about, hey, remember our first year? Hey, remember when there was a crew of us that like broke into Cultus Lake uh, water slides, right? Uh, and remember when there was a crew of us that would go to Cultus Lake? Uh, remember when, right? We talk about times of old. Remember when we had the bonfire pits at the beginning of the year and we had that social and how fun that was? Remember when we had that terrible movie up on the field that we were stuck watching up on the field in orientation week? Shrek, Shrek whatever. Yeah, I don't know who voted for that one. Shrek 2. I didn't even know there was more than one. Uh, <laughs> remember, remember last year, right, when like chapels were not this for those who are upperclassmen. And it was like groups of 50 people in here with no music. Like it was, right? Maybe that's not a memory of old we want to remember. Like this is way more preferable. But like count your blessings right now because it literally was 50 people max. And we, we repeated chapel Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, the exact same like set list and sermon uh, for each group cohort of 50 people. Yeah. And then music was cut out. So then it was just like, just the Bible study, just the sermon. So maybe that's not a memory or a mem remember, a memory <laughs> of old uh, that I want to hold on to. But there's some cool things that took place this year too. Some cool moments in chapel. I can think back to when we began the year. Uh, we had a series that Jesus came to dwell among us and we were working through the book of John at the beginning of the year. I remember when we had a couple guest speakers, we had James and Maria McFadden here for Spiritual Emphasis Days and how awesome that was. I remember when we had Dan McTavish, a missionary here in February. Do you remember that night? And the stories that he shared and how encouraging that night was? Well, he said a line during that sermon that as he said that line, Kim and I looked over at each other right away and both went, oh and wrote it down right away. So tonight I have titled my message, the line that he said, the great thrills of what God is doing. The great thrills of what God is doing. And so, yeah, yeah. Jace, can you close the door for me, please? Appreciate that. boy, Jace. Yeah, another alumni, Jace Levine. <laughs> So, so we began the year looking into the book of John, the gospel of John. And we started off the year reading out of John chapter one. And I'd like to begin again this evening with reading some of these words out of John chapter one. John one says, in the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In verse 9, I'm going to continue on. It says, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we began our series, we began our semester with these portraits out of the book of John. Do you remember? Do you remember what some of those portraits were, what some of those scenes were? Want to shout them out? Does anybody remember? Jesus and who? Woman at the well, yeah. Nicodemus, that was another one. Remember any of the other ones? Man at the pool of Bethesda. You were getting there. Come on. There's two other ones. I want to see if we can get it. Anybody? Uh, there's a woman and there's a man in the other ones. Accused of adultery, yes? Yeah, and? I heard, I heard it. Blind guy, yes. Blind guy, Jesus healed them, yes. Okay. Okay, so we had words and themes of like light and darkness. Light as life and darkness as death. Talked about living water. Right, so the first one of the portraits that we discussed was Jesus and Nicodemus. Remember the scene where it's at nighttime and reflecting the darkness and the confusion that Nicodemus could not grasp onto and accept the words that Christ was talking about, you need to be born again. And he had compassion for Nicodemus. Jesus had love for Nicodemus. He showed him great mercy. He talked about salvation and new life and being born again. The woman at the well, right? Jesus' real first public revelation to someone of who he is. And he met this lady. He met this woman at the well, the well of Jacob. And he had such compassion for her. And he had such mercy for her and such love towards her who felt rejection, who felt hatred, from the Jews, who felt like she was not accepted. And there was Jesus accepting her. He knew her past. She was blown away that this man knew all of her past. And yet he accepted and he loved her. And he talked about rather than just living the sleeping water, but life-giving water, that she would never thirst again. That the welling, is this cutting in and out? I'll go to the handheld, Brent. Hear me now? There we go. hey -o. Thanks. <clears throat> this life-giving water of never needing to thirst again if she was to choose the life-giving water that Christ would give her and talked about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, that it would, there would come a time that people would worship the Lord in spirit and in truth altogether. Okay, there was also the blind man that we talked about. And that, too, was the theme and motif of living water. Remember the story in the pool of Bethesda there where the water would bubble up? And the, the theory was that because it was bubbling and it was moving, it was living water. And therefore, the layman would try to get into the pool. And the first person who would get into the pool believed that they would have uh, experienced a healing that would take place in that pool. And Jesus came and he saw this man. And he noticed him. And he showed great compassion. And he showed great love. And he healed him and he gave him new life. The Lord of mercy came into the house of mercy. You remember that? We talked about that Jesus noticed him and he healed him. Remember what day that he healed him on? The Sabbath. Healed him on the Sabbath. So there was some controversy that took place following. Okay, then we also talked about the woman who was accused of adultery, who was going to be murdered and killed 
out of a, a sin that would have taken multiple people to participate in, and yet it was just her, that she was the one having to pay this price. And so Jesus stood with her and showed compassion and showed forgiveness and showed love. And Jesus reveals his love in those moments of tension, of sin, of abandonment, of accusation. His mercy is right there in the middle of all of it. His love and compassion. The accusers wanted to end her life, but Jesus gave her life. Then we talked about the uh, blind man. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus came and brought healing, and he showed compassion. And he showed love, and he showed mercy and forgiveness. And he healed the man. On what day? The Sabbath. <laughs> the Sabbath. He came and healed him. Jesus was glorified. Jesus came to dwell among his people. Jesus came that he would know his people and that his people would know him. To know them and to be known by them. That's why Jesus came. For this intimacy, for this dwelling, to commune with his people and to show love and to show compassion. We also uh, talked about the example that Jesus showed uh, later on in the book of John, where he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. And we talked about this beautiful picture and example of love. And that of Jesus, who unraveled his outer garments, knelt down before his disciples, and he washed their feet. And he showed them the perfect example of leadership, of serving one another, caring for felt needs, caring for those who are around him, not lording over authority and leadership, but submitting himself in a way with love and care and compassion. And there was that scene with Judas and the tension that took place in the moment as Judas ran out into the dark. Remember that? As Jesus was, was accusing Judas as being the one who is going to betray him. And that, that section in chapter, I think it's 13, um, Jesus talks about the, his love and the love of the disciples, that the world will know that they are his disciples by how they love one another. And then we had James and Maria here, and they spent spiritual emphasis days with us, and they talked about our need for the Holy Spirit. John 14 and 15 and 16. Jesus, we see in these stories, in these portraits, in these pictures, that he came to dwell with people. He spent time one-on-one -on -one with people. And you know what? So does the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came with many, but he also dwells in each person and spends time in those one-on-one -on -one moments. And the Holy Spirit forgives, and he comforts, and he counsels. And he leads and he guides. And the fruit of the Spirit are to be an operation of his disciples. And that fruit of the Spirit really can only take place in the concept of community. It cannot really happen on our own. We cannot be gentle. <laughs> we can be gentle to ourselves. But it is best expressed and lived out in the sense of community. And Maria talked about that we are needing to stay grafted into the vine. Do you remember that? And that when we are not staying grafted into the vine, we become what? Prickly is what her word was. <laughs> we become prickly, like that of like a grape stem with no grapes on it. And it can scratch and it's prickly and it hurts. So we need to stay connected to the vine. We had other series we talked about a contemplative spirituality. And we talked about the value of being regularly, consistently in the Word of God. Remember when Alan came here on that night and he shared 
And he talked about the picture of scripture is like that of like a sprinkle, like that of a shower, just continually washing over us. We, that, we need that continual infilling of the word of God in our lives because the word of God is living and active. Amen? He talked, talked about that there's a process to scripture, but there's also a product. Like a tree planted by a river yielding its fruit in season which I thought was a wonderful passage for him to share. Because the very first chapel of this year, Jen shared with me a passage out of Jeremiah, which was that exact passage that Alan preached from. And I remember my prayer in the very first chapter, or very first uh, chapel, excuse me. I remember praying outside in pre-service prayer and saying, Lord, I'm really excited for this night and there seems to be some real buzz about the place, but I don't want just hype. I want some spiritual hope and I don't want to just be encouraged. I want to be edified. And there was these passages of scripture spoken over us, spoken to me that I was able to share to us that we saw returned again by a person who wasn't even here. Alan wasn't even here that first night. And to see the continual like impression of the Spirit, of the Lord working in our lives on a regular basis, I was really encouraged and edified by it. We talked about slowing down for a loving union with God. Asked the questions of how often am I doing life for the Father and not enough with the Father? Remember that? Remember we talked about God's plan and our inclusion in his plan for the world. We talked about Sabbath, rest, and having a rhythm of rest in our lives. We talked about blessings. We talked about relationships. We had our chapel chats up here, right? Remember that? We just finished through a series about leadership discussed the concept of what it means to uh, honoring those that we serve with, honoring and respecting those that we serve under, that we're to serve others, that we're to encourage others, that we're to help others, that we're to pray continuously, rejoice always, and give thanks in every circumstance. We talked about not quenching the spirit. And now we're here in our final chapel. And I want to read, quickly out of John chapter 17. It'll be up on the screen here. John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, it says this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Remember that? In the beginning, right? Before the world began. Jesus is talking about this time to be back in the presence of his Father as he was before the world began. That phrase, uh, the hour has come. Jesus used that phrase, the hour, a couple of times. And a couple of times in the book of John, he used that specific phrase, the hour. The hour has come. It's not yet my hour. Actually, in chapter two of the book of John in the wedding of Canaan, uh, what happens at the wedding? What runs out? Well, wine runs out. And so his mom goes to Jesus and says, hey, wine's run out. We need more wine can you make more wine? And his first response before performing the miracle is, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Maybe a little disrespectful in our day and age, calling his mom woman, but here we go. It is a term of endearment. My hour has not yet come. He performs the miracle, yet what was to take place wasn't going to take place in all its fullness because the hour had not yet come. Then we get to John chapter 4. Jesus continues on, actually in the discussion with the Samaritan woman at the well. He says to her, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Uh, at the healing in the pool of Bethesda, he says to uh, the, uh, the Pharisees and the crowd because of the whole Sabbath situation and people's back getting like, you know, up in arms because he healed on the Sabbath. Jesus then took the opportunity to share to the crowd and to the Pharisees. And he says to them, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. In John chapter 7, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And uh, it says here, he says here, my time is not yet here. And John writes, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. I would have loved to have seen how that actually played out. They're trying to get to him. And he was able to maneuver and get out in a very packed city of Jerusalem during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, and no one was able to lay a hand on him. In John 12, when Jesus predicts his death, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And then in his prayer for himself in John chapter 17, he says, the hour has come. A friend of mine spoke at my church on Sunday, and uh, he shared a word specifically about time. And I said, that is so timely. And uh, I then asked him, <laughs> um, I'm going to use that to encourage our students. And he said, go for it. And he talked about the, the concept of time. And in our English language, uh, we, we stink in often our, how our expressions of words that we use for definitions. Uh, and a word, a single word can have multiple meanings. So time, for example, there's the, oh, look at the time, right? Oh, I'm late. I got to get to class. <laughs> or, oh, I only have like an hour until midnight. That's all the time I have left to get this assignment in. So there's the concept of like time. But then there's also the, hey, isn't this a great time? Right? Like, like Kim and I hear often after mentoring, students leave, man, I always enjoy my time with my campus pastors. Like we hear that often, right? <laughs> what a time, right? <laughs> <laughs> but in Greek, there's two words for it. In Greek, there's two words for it. It's chronos and kairos. Chronos and kairos. Chronos is the, the, the timeline, the stream of time, the passing of time, the seconds, the minutes, the hours, the days, the years, right? As the earth orbits the sun, it's our stream of time. The chronograph is a specific type of watch face or clock, and we count the time that's strapped to our wrists, or on our phones, or devices, or on screens, and we basically are subject to it. We live by it. What time we get up, what time we eat, what time we go to bed, what time we go to work, we are subject to it. Chronos time, it influences us. We are run by it. We cannot make it go faster. We cannot make it go slower. It is what it is, and we are subject to it, the passing of time. But when we're talking about kairos, it's a particular moment in time, maybe a period or a season of time, that opportune moment, that right moment. It's not about the passing of time, but the timing of a particular moment. Are you catching the drift? It's that ideal time. It could be a long time. It could be a really short time. It could be an instant or a quick moment. It's where circumstances, they align. They create the perfect opportune moment. On, in cable television, which many of you don't even, yeah, exactly, know what that is. There's something called prime time. And prime time, yes, is generally between the hours of like five to nine, but it's not for the sake of the actual chronos time. It's because it's percentage-wise the most likelihood that the most people who could watch TV at one time is at that time. So it's the most opportune time, prime time. It's like Abby's favorite fruit, a banana. 
where it's like too green and you cannot eat it and it's gross. But then there's that perfect moment of time where the flavor is just right and the texture is perfect. But if you wait too long, it's now too ripe and bruised and not good. It's about the perfect time. It's like the movie, the classic Back to the Future. Back to the Future where Marty McFly is stuck back in 1955. And he needs to get back to 1985. He went back to 1955 to make sure that he could save Doc's life. And now he needs to get back to 1985. But by doing so, the time machine, the DeLorean, the lightning in the sky, and him going at the speed of 88 miles per hour at that exact moment, at the exact time, is the most opportune time for him to get back to 1985. We cannot affect the Kronos time. It's quantitative. It's the passage of time. But we can affect the Kairos time. It's qualitative. It's something that we observe. It's something that we can discern, that we can make the best of it, or we can completely miss it. Romans 5, Paul says the words, you see at just the right time, when we were still sinners, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's not just a date on the calendar. Paul wasn't saying the third Sunday in April in 33 AD is the perfect time. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the opportune, the kairos time. At just the right time. So circumstances in history, they were aligned. They were aligned. The Hebrew law is difficult to follow. And uh, it's too hard to follow and learn that people are powerless to salvation through the law. It was impossible. The prophets were silent for hundreds of years. Society was overly immoral. The Roman Empire, it was established, which actually created an opportune moment for the spread of the gospel. A common language, a common currency, roadways and transportation were a little bit easier. There was no wars. It was relative peace at the time. It was just the right time, the perfect moment. The perfect moment for Jesus to be glorified and to glorify the Father. The perfect time for salvation hung on a cross. The perfect kairos time that Jesus came to save the ungodly. And so the hour has come for us. Our chronos time of the semester is coming to an end. But there is our kairos time that is still in front of us. Our opportune moments ahead of us. How are you discerning your kairos time? We need to ask ourselves, are we just going to go moment to moment? Minute to minute? day by day, or are we watching for those opportune moments? When Dan was here, he used the language, divine appointments and encounters. And he talked about his tennis racket, right? And he talked about what do you have in your hand? What can God use that is in your hand for those divine appointments and those encounters that the Lord would have for you? Are you open and looking for the great thrills of what God is doing? Are you aware of those Kairos moments? That God is at work in your life. That God is at work in your roommate. That God is at work in your student leader. That God is at work in the student in your ministry. Are you open to use what God has put into your hands? Are you open to the opportune moment to be used by him and be a blessing to someone? I'm going to get our band to come up. This concept of time. Jesus in his prayer says, the hour has come. His time has come. His opportune moment is now. And we live continue to live in that opportune moment. In his prayer, he says, now this is eternal life, 
that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. That eternal life, eternal life is to know God and to be known by him. That's why Jesus came, to dwell among his people and show compassion, to commune with them, to know them and have them be known by him. And these portraits that, that John, he writes, these portraits that he, he paints for us. Jesus was aware of his Kairos time. I think of that, that image that I have in my head of Jesus sitting with Nicodemus late into the evening. Like they both would have been busy men. And here they are one-on-one. Jesus is using this divine appointment to speak life to a person who thought he knew it all. And Jesus was speaking truth and life into him. Jesus waiting at noon at the well for the Samaritan woman and showing love and compassion, waiting for that Kairos time to speak to her, that divine appointment. The lame man at the pool that everybody didn't notice, Jesus made sure in a very busy time to go and spend a Kairos moment with that man at the pool. The accused woman, he stood with her and made sure that time was used to glorify him and to save that woman. The blind man who saw him, Jesus knew his Kairos time. Your divine appointments, your encounters, those opportune moments which are ready for you, are you open? And are you looking for the great thrills of what God is doing? So a bit of a thread of our sermon series throughout the year. And I'll finish with this. The thread is that Jesus came to dwell with us, right? He came to commune. He showed compassion and he showed mercy to all those he came in contact with. And in our contemplative spirituality, we discussed ways that we can be intentional about communing with God, of being close and dwelling with Him. And that was Sabbath and slowing down and prayer and scripture reading. That our communion with God is crucial to the fact that we are so desperately in need of the Holy Spirit in our lives every day. And that that should affect our relationships, how we care for people and love people and treat people and show kindness to them. Our friendships, but also our dating relationships and our marriage relationships, it should affect us. It should also affect our leadership and how we respect people and honor people and care for people and help people and encourage people. It matters. And so Jesus came with compassion to commune with his people. And he has called us to love and lead people with that same compassion. Amen? He came to dwell among us, to commune with his people. And he has called us to love and to lead with the same compassion that he showed us. Your Kairos, how are you going to See the thrill of God in your life, those divine appointments that he would have for you. Let me finish with this. Jesus said, eternal life is to know God, right? To to know God and to be known by him. And so often we think for people to know God, it takes moments like this, where we're up in front of people and we have to proclaim in a microphone or through a program or through an outreach event. That's when we can tell people about God. But we see through the example of Jesus that it was the one-on-one times when he's sitting with people. And those conversations in the hurt of that woman at the well and her past, where she felt she was unlovable. It was in that moment that she felt love. The man who gave up hope to thinking that his life could ever be anything except unnoticed and a castaway, outcast to society, yet Jesus noticed him. 
to the woman who in the threat of her life, that tension, his love gave her life to the man who could not see. He gave him more than just sight. And so it's in those moments, those Kairos moments that we see Jesus, that we are called to those moments as well, to notice those who are unnoticed, to love those who believe they're unlovable, to sit in the tension of accusation and sin brokenness and hurt and and hurt pasts and to sit with those people in those kairos moments as Jesus did as he does with us as the spirit does with us today that we can be the dark or we can be the light in this dark So tonight is a, is a unique night, right? We are to be like Jesus, right? To be that expression of his compassion, to be present. And so at some, in some regard, I, I sit here and I'm like, let's do this, let's go, right? There's a sense of urgency, people need to know. And that would be that Kronos time kicking in, right? And yet, Jesus continues to um, bridge the tension between that sense of urgency and the sense of significance. And so before we race out and race off this hill in two weeks and race into what's going to happen next in our lives, race on a plane, we're just going to take some time for significance today. Tonight is our commissioning service. Now, for those of you who don't know what that means, essentially, we're sending you. We're sending each other tonight. That's what we're doing. Because you've taken a lot of time to prepare. But you came here because you wanted to make a difference in the world for the Lord. And so you've taken a lot of time to prepare. But before we race out of here, we're going to take some time for significant time with the Lord. We're going to do that first off like Jesus did with his friends at the table having communion. So I'm going to invite you all to stand with me for a second. So we're not really in a rush. There's going to be basketball and that will be fun. But we're not really in a rush. I'd like to invite you to come to these, you know, dusky tables and pick up one of those funny little cracker and a juice that tastes gross together. And we're going to do communion together. But as you make your way, and it'll feel clumsy and awkward, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But as you pick up one of these little cups and little wafers, I want you to just move slowly. And I want you to think about, think about the times that God has been with you this year. Think about the times that God has dwelt among you, that God has shed light in your darkness. Think about the time that he has dwelt with you in your joy and when he has dealt with you in your absolute pain and sorrow. As you walk up to this table, I want you to think about how the Holy Spirit has empowered you. And I want you to be thinking about how he has challenged you and how he has equipped you to lead for him. And so that's a lot of things to think about. So I just encourage you to consider how God has dwelt with you this year as you come and take a little juicy cup thing. And we'll we'll take it together. Um, So I invite you, come on up, grab a juicy thing.
Thank you for your death and resurrection. Thank you for the power of your blood. I am overwhelmed by your affection. The kindness and the greatness of your love. Jesus made his way and was getting ready to go to the cross. In John, there's no, there's no sense of hurry. He just spent some time with his friends. He spent his time before he was handed over to the temple guards, before he was going to literally change time for the rest of our lives and for the lives of the world. He sat with his friends, he washed their feet, he ate with them, I'm sure he laughed with them, he mourned with them, he prayed with them. And we do the same right now. We have a purpose, we have a role, that God has given us. And it's not like lofty, like out there in like La La Land, what it, we don't know what time. It's in two weeks. That It's in two weeks. But right now, we're gonna do what Jesus did. And we're going to reflect on how he changed our time, our life, by giving his blood and his body for us. And so, the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And I would encourage you, if you haven't yet, open up that little plastic piece, get that little emblem of bread, a symbol of it, and he said, take, take and eat this. My body is for you. Take it and eat it. Why don't we take it and eat the bread right now in remembrance of his broken body for you and for me. said this, 
This is my blood, a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink the bread or eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Remember his sacrifice. Lord, we thank you so much that you took the time to come and dwell among your people, to leave heaven and come to earth, to be a light in the darkness, to show us the nature and the character of God, to bring grace and peace and compassion into our world so that we would have life, so that we would know eternal life. We thank you that you took the time. You made space in this world for significance and you called us to yourself and made us children of God. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. And we thank you that you call us to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. Now, after Jesus, you can stay standing. <laughs> We've sat for a while. After Jesus had dinner with his friends, they went and they prayed. Gavin read part of the prayer that Jesus started to pray in John 17. But in John 17, verses 14 to 23, he starts to pray for his disciples and he starts to pray for you and for me. And this is Jesus' prayer for us. Jesus prays to God, I have given them my word and the world, the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth your word of truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone, he says. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I gave them the, the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are in one, in them and in you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me then they love and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus, instead of rushing to save the world, he prayed for you and me. He prayed a prayer of preparation and commission. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray a prayer of commission. So I'd like to call Omegas, freshmen, juniors, and sophomores, I'd like you to come to the front. Omegas, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, now. You can come to the front. <laughs> now. Yeah, you. You can come. Okay, so you can face me. Face me. Face me. Great. Okay, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, 
You came here with a purpose. And some of you have completed your purpose almost. Some of you are in the middle. But your purpose is not just to write papers. Amen? All right. That's not just... <laughs> It's not just your, that's not your only purpose. See, you have been given the glory of God and you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit so that the world will know that God loves them. That's why you write your papers. That's why you write your exams, to prepare you that's why you're here. And so, as much as you have taken the time to be diligent in your studies and to be diligent in your own personal development and in your own spiritual development, you have been faithful. But now it's time for you to go wherever you are going. So Omegas, as you are heading across this world, we want to pray for you. As those who are heading into Uganda, we're praying for you. For those of you who have internships, we're praying for you. Who has no blessed clue what they're doing next? Yeah, okay, we're praying for you. So we are going to commission you because you are going into the world. Whether you know where you're going or not, that doesn't matter at this point, you're going you're going. Now, seniors in the house, you were commissioned on Monday. You were prayed for on Monday. Well, now it's time for you to send your peers. Okay, so seniors, I'd like for you to start moving and I'd like for you to like get on in, bring in some people underneath your, underneath your shoulders, underneath your like arms here. And I want us to be praying. Seniors, I don't want you to clump together. I want you to get in between your peers here. We wanna be praying for them, lifting them up, sending them. And I got some thoughts on maybe areas that we can prayer, and this is what came out of our text. Let's be praying for protection and favor as you step into the divine moments, right? Let's pray that the Holy Spirit embolden them to be used by God. Let's, let's pray for great faith that God would do miraculous things, bringing miraculous light into extreme darkness. Let us pray that we would be bearers of God's glory, that we would be advocates of unity and have a heart of compassion. So this is what I'd like for us to do. If there is a grad, I want you to get as many people in your prayer as much as possible. For those of you who don't have a grad that's touching your shoulder, I want you to like clump together. For those of you who are in the house who are like, I'm just here to visit. I would love for you to just pray over these people. Okay? And we are going to pray with great passion because we have prepared for this. Am I right? You are you've been preparing. So I'd like to take a moment and let us just pray over each other that we would be prepared, that the Holy Spirit would empower us to go as he has directed us. Yes? Okay. Let's pray with great faith. Amen? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> 